0: This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's covered. Yeah. It's raining. They don't care. No, no. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon. When this has become... When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns it! Touchdown, Oregon! Been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an- man it feels great to be a duck welcome to the qb11 show presented by scoop duck with doug andrew and j-hop here are the guys with the latest scoop welcome back in for this special bonus edition episode of the qb11 show presented by scoop duck i'm doug scott and i'm joined today by justin hopkins from scoop duck himself and Justin, we haven't had you on since the season started, so it's great to have you back.
1: Yeah, I'm back. Uh <laughs> I know uh the schedule with with yourself and Andrew uh doesn't necessarily align with mine. Uh, I know you guys like to record in the evening and and uh I have uh soccer practice to coach starting at, at seven till about nine, so that cuts into that time. But soccer will be over in about a month and that'll hopefully that'll give us a chance to all be on the same page you know around that time but i appreciate you guys recording and i appreciate you making time for me to jump on earlier in the day today
0: yeah absolutely I'm, I'm happy to have you back and i certainly miss you it does it does seem like every additional person you add to a recording makes the scheduling like 100 percent more difficult <laughs> or, oh, or yeah I, it's like exponentially harder the more people you, you try to coordinate with
1: 100 percent. isn't that like anything in life you try and set like a dinner you know, with your family or whatever, and you can get two of the family members or four of them there, but not all five. And yeah, or if you want to hang out with your buddies, same thing, you can get two or three of the guys, but not all five or six. It's uh, it's just a busy life these days, isn't it?
0: <laughs> it is. It is. Well, look, let, while we got you here, like, we got to start with recruiting. Obviously, you cover it better than anyone over there at ScoopDuck. Um, obviously, Brandon Baker, no surprise to anyone who who's a member of ScoopDuck and has been following along, but committed to Texas, which I think you had predicted quite some time back um over the weekend and so where does that leave oregon kind of in the offensive line um, recruit recruiting now who's left on the board at that position
1: yeah i I think there's let's set the table this is a really good question by the way but let's set the table a little bit i think if you're oregon okay right now uh as we know they have 22 verbal commitments And, and i know last year oregon signed you know 30 recruits out of the prep level uh juco or prep level they're not going to get to that number again this year. So if you think, oh yeah, Dan Lanning will just sign 30 and figure it out later. He's not going to do that. I I don't think there's any way he does that unless all of a sudden, you know, six, five stars are ready to jump in the boat and then he will figure it out. But unless that's the case, um, you've got very limited amount of room left and something you've got to note here. Anybody that Oregon brings in uh, right now in recruiting and, and, and ultimately signs with Oregon means that somebody currently on the roster is going to have to find a new home. OK, and that and that that problem doesn't have to get fixed until later down the line, but it becomes a problem. Right. Additionally, anybody you sign now as part of your recruiting class. OK, limits what you're able to do in the transfer portal. Now, I don't think, again, Dan Lanning is going to go nuts in the transfer portal and sign 10 guys, 12 guys, whatever the number might be. But you've got to expect he's probably going to want to fill a couple holes, you know, maybe two to four, maybe even five through the transfer portal. I think there's going to be some guys that jump in there. Uh, you know, Mel Tucker's already gone from Michigan State. There's going to be more coaching movement. My point is this before I answer your question. You can't just start offering other guys and, and say, we need to tackle. Let's go find a tackle. And you go and get Joe Schmo out of Missouri who might have, you know three recognizable offers uh, that's how oregon used to recruit they no longer have to recruit that way because of Dan landing because of the transfer portal so to answer brandon baker uh, you know it stings there's no doubt i think a year ago the ducks were were really close and i do think almost a year ago they were really close to getting him to commit um he'd already taken multiple visits had a great relationship with adrian clem And the staff, Clem left, as we know, that put a pause on things and he opened things back up and and, and you got to give Texas credit. They did a good job recruiting him, Um, you know, just kind of really laid that foundation at that point and kept on. And as you can see, Texas currently has the number two ranked recruiting class in the country. So clearly Steve Sarkeesian is doing something right, along with actually having a winning season finally. So a lot of things going right down there in Austin. Um, As for Brandon Baker... We'll just say that moves him off the board and we'll say that that case is closed. Who knows if it reopens, it could, it might not. Um, I think you immediately pivot to Jordan Seaton, who we've talked about a little bit here, at least on scoop duck in the last two or three, four weeks, a name that's been thrown around. He's mentioned Oregon being a dream school. He was, he's a newly minted five-star with on three in the last, uh, I think it was a week, week and a half ago. Uh, he was upgraded to a five-star. Um, so that's a guy that that plays tackle that I think Oregon's going to pursue. You've got Eddie Pierre-Lewis also on the board, but he's more of an interior guy. Right now, those seem to be the only two offensive linemen Oregon's really recruiting. And to my point that I was trying to make, you like both those guys, maybe you get one, maybe you get both, maybe you get neither. I don't think there's a pressing need right now if they can hold on to Fox Crater and the other guys they have committed to go and make sure you sign another tackle. If you miss at Jordan Seton and Brandon Baker stays with Texas, more than likely you might not sign another tackle commit in the recruiting class at the prep level. I would say at that time, which will be after the season, the ducks look around at, at tackle who, who might jump in, uh, you know, to the transfer portal. Uh, does a Johnny Cornelius come back for another year? I believe he has two if he wants to use them. Yes. Uh, you know, a, a number of things there that, don't need to be answered today, but I understand the question being, being asked. And, and so I think that's just kind of how that plays out over the next, you know, two to three months.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And obviously Oregon already has three, three commits at offensive tackle, uh, and a couple interior guys as well. So it's like you said, obviously if you can get a Jordan seat and you're going to take that, but you're not going to just go, there's already a couple projects you know, in the, in the tackle list in this class already, you don't need to go sign another one. Right. So, you know, if you can't right. get uh, someone like a seat and you'll just, you'll just move on. Like you said, uh, let's switch over to some of the other positions. Uh, you know, obviously the, you know, probably the, the the biggest name still out there on the board for Oregon is, is the defensive lineman five-star Aiden Breland out of uh modern day down there in California. And, and that seems to be what Georgia versus Oregon still. Right.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right now, that definitely looks like Georgia versus Oregon. I know Miami's kind of clawed in there a little bit. Texas A&M was hovering around there for a little bit, but Georgia and Oregon have been the two constants. Um, you know, he he recently visited Georgia Georgia for an unofficial visit. Following that visit, I do think that Georgia made things very interesting, and I think that recruitment's very close. But I do feel, and I, I even if he doesn't visit, I think Oregon can still get him, but I do feel... If Oregon can get him back on campus, which I believe they easily can, you know, I feel like that might tip the scales, you know, kind of more so back in Oregon's favor. And let's not make a, a mistake here. I think if if let's just rewind it back to February. Right. And you have Dan Lanning, you're sitting in his office and he knows he's not being recorded and you're never going to say a word he says uh, from your conversation. You say Dan Lanning, would you rather have Aiden Breeland or Brandon Baker in this recruiting class? I believe you, the truthful answer would be Aiden Breeland. And I don't mean that as a slight to Brandon Baker. It's not like we didn't want him anyways. His answer probably would have been both. His second answer would have been Aiden Breeland. Um, and, I, and I think that's what you see out of Dane Landing. He prioritizes that position. You know, he's always going to prioritize that position. I think that was on full display Saturday against Colorado. The dominance of the guys up front that Oregon had against that much inferior offensive line. So that's just how I think they've poured as as much resources into that recruitment as anybody in this 2024 cycle. I think Oregon's in great shape there. But again, it's Georgia. They have the number one class this year. I think they had it last year. If they weren't number one, they were number two. I mean, they're, they're tough. And it's just, it's amazing to think about Oregon's at this spot that they're able to recruit with Georgia. And yeah, they're going to win some of the battles, but Oregon's going to win some of them too.
0: Yeah, obviously Jericho Johnson's another guy there on the defensive line that Oregon had on campus this weekend and uh, you know, I think we were all kind of expecting that was going to be an official visit but uh, but I think he reported that it was an unofficial visit which means he can come back yet one more time. That that uh, Jericho's been, you know, Utah, USC, Oregon, Washington are his top 4. I know he's been to Washington 3 or 4 times including an official that he took back there in June and I think he's been kind of their number 1 target, uh, you know, of their entire class for the whole cycle and Obviously, Oregon, USC, you know, probably Utah are also right there as well with Washington, and and obviously that game had to have been a a big plus for his impression of Oregon.
1: Yeah, you know, I provided an update, uh, you know, on the site uh, that that you that folks can read, but if they haven't already, and yeah, I I think that you know if you something we learned under Mario Cristobal, right, and and he was it was really good to learn this, but you know when those you know top flight like, defensive linemen that are out west you know, are in your footprint, you've got to prioritize them. Even if they're not five star like an Aiden Breland, but you've got a Jericho Johnson that's a legit four star with some really good offers out in your footprint, you've really got to dial it up and and try to close on those guys. And I think Dan Lanning's done that, hasn't taken him for granted. I think that Oregon's done a good job of playing that recruitment right because others hosted him for official visits in the in June, and Oregon did not. You were able to get him on campus this past weekend, Oregon was, and it was an unofficial visit. That's tremendous. I know it went great. The, the environment was great. The reports I got back were great as far as Jer- Jericho is concerned. And you still have your ace in the hole, that official visit. So you're almost assured to get him back on campus. So uh, I, I really like where Oregon's at with Jericho. I like the direction that's headed. And, and I do think that that's a guy that that you know looks looks fairly likely to end up as a part of this recruiting class for the Ducks
0: yeah well, that's that would be huge. Uh, you know, both keeping him away from, you know, other West Coast schools as well as getting him in your class along with the, I mean, the the defensive lineman and Gray and and Sims that Oregon already has, and then obviously Breland too if they can lock him down. I mean, that's another haul uh, along the defensive line uh, on top of last year's haul along the defensive time. and clearly, clear, clearly, that's a position Dan and company will continue to um, recruit as many talented bodies as they can at and and rightly so. Uh, let's move over Jeremiah McClellan, the wide receiver, who committed to Ohio State over Oregon, oh, a month or so ago. was back on campus at Oregon this weekend. Maybe kind of a surprise visit to many. Kind of happened pretty late, um, or, or the news broke of it a little pretty late anyway. Um, obviously, that's an interesting one to watch. He's committed to Ohio State, but came out here for the visit. I mean, maybe he just wanted the trip to see a big game with Prime and everybody. But, you know, you can't write out the possibility that Oregon's going to certainly continue to recruit him through the end.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's a guy that Oregon got in fairly early on. And again, as we were talking about with Aiden Breeland, that's Oregon versus Georgia, you know, here's Oregon versus Ohio state for a wide receiver. Ohio state doesn't miss on many wide receivers in recruiting. Um, and they do a tremendous job with that. So, you know, to get him back on your campus, you know, a month or so after his commitment, I think that shows that Oregon has remained committed to recruiting him. Obviously it, Also shows that he's remained interested in Oregon as well, and so I know there's been some Missouri chatter out there as well from from McClellan. Those three schools seem to be in the mix with him. Obviously, if you're taking visits, you're not fully committed, right? I know I know that that works both ways. If Oregon commits or taking visits, I feel the same way about it. So as far as McClellan goes, I don't get the sense that a flip is coming or he's going to back off his commitment or anything anytime soon. I think he's just kind of methodically making sure that, you know, he's keeping his options open. I believe that after the many visits he has taken Oregon, this was his first game experience at Oregon. That's a different visit, right? You come in the spring and you're hanging out with the staff and maybe you see a spring practice. If you're lucky, that's not the same as watching an actual football game in Autzen stadium. this was a a tremendous opportunity for the ducks to get him for a big game. So yeah, you, you keep on that one. And again, when I was talking about earlier guys that you're going to make room for in this class, Jerry McClellan's one of those guys you're going to make room for, right? I don't know that they necessarily have to go sign another wide receiver, but if it's a guy like this, I know that they're going to, you know, keep their options open as long as they can. And, you know, he's definitely a guy, if he decides to flip late, you're going to take that all day long.
0: Yeah. A couple more, Uh, obviously Jason Brown was from Seattle was down again to watch Oregon. It seems like with Michigan state imploding that, you know, he's a guy that's probably Oregon's if, if they want him. And I think that that comes down to that question of it's not like they don't think he's a good player. But, you know, it's all about room and and spots and, and, and whether they have the room or will have the room for him. I don't know. So that's one to watch. Um, let's see. Anybody else I'm missing? Uh, the tight
1: end. Yeah. Roger Salia Paga. Yeah. Uh, big one. Right. That's a big visit because, you know, Oregon's got a couple commits at tight end, but it doesn't feel like they have. A, a, a like a top end guy you've got aj pugliano i totally get taken him family ties in state kid you've got a lot to work with there totally understand the take i think jackson ford is another guy that isn't quite getting the credit he should um he's a really good looking athlete a guy that makes a lot of sense but you know Sally Apaga is a guy that you know is in the top 200 you know just a more refined polished ready-made kind of a guy You know, do they necessarily need all of these numbers? No, but, you know, a guy like Sally Apaga is one that you're probably not going to turn away if you're Oregon. So, you know, getting him on campus, once again, was big. Got to love that visit. Sounds like USC and Utah and some others are in the mix as well. So if you're able to get him, again, it hurts your competition and it keeps him, you know, as part of your or gets him as part of your class. Excuse me. So, you know, that's one to watch. And again, the Ducks have not used their official visit there. Uh, I if I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm recalling that correctly I don't think they have um, so it means you still have that in the bank and it wouldn't surprise me to see you know I know Oregon's kind of circling the USC C game uh, for another big official visit weekend or, or an official visit weekend so you know Jericho Johnson, Jason Brown, uh, Roger Saliapaga, Jericho Johnson some of these guys we couldn't see back on campus in about a month for that game as well on official. you
0: expect Do you expect to see a lot of uh, other Oregon commits uh, take official visits that weekend who maybe haven't done so yet or even unofficials?
1: Yeah, you know, of course, at that time, you're still navigating who has games of their own and whatnot. But, yeah, I I think if you're going to bring in, uh, you know, if you're Oregon and, and let's say you can get three, four, five, six guys that that you're still recruiting that aren't committed to you. It only helps to, you know, get four, five, six, seven, as many as you can of your own commits on campus with them and do some of that peer recruiting, really get them to talk about why they committed to Oregon, you know, their conversations with the staff, why their family's comfortable with Oregon, you know, all those things really help uh, when you're recruiting. So, yeah, I, I think we could see, you know, if Oregon doesn't get many of their commits on official visits, you know, you'll see the Northwest guys that can easily make it on campus for unofficials and whatnot, but you'll see some of those guys around them for sure. Hopefully, some quarterbacks too, because you know they tend to be the best recruiters.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Anything more on recruiting?
1: No, I mean, I, I I guess we can always go over stuff, but that was yeah, that was kind of you know touching on Baker, which was recent. Um, you know, the Jeremiah McClellan news was really big. Obviously, the, the weekend of visitors. Uh, oh, I guess lastly, Cumberland, you know, Oregon. Yeah, I'd say Oregon scored an early commitment from, you know, Tony Cumberland out of Arizona, uh, 2,026 player. So it's obviously very early, very young, Got going to have a long ways to go on that recruitment. I'm sure he'll take other visits. I would hope he would because you want to be sure of your decision this early on, but um, you know, that's a, a, a early on, that's a top 20, top 25 looking player. I know the rankings will be adjusted for his class. They're not, you know, they're not complete at this time, but, you know, it's clear that that's a to Ohio State and, and Texas A&M and other big schools have offered. So um, you like getting the early commitments. But, uh, you know, as we both know, being veterans of the recruiting game, the work is just beginning to, uh, you know, as you've got to hold on to them for a couple of years now. But still, it's positive momentum.
0: All right, let's take a quick commercial break and then we'll come back and talk a little bit about the Duck season so far. All right and we are back with Justin Hopkins from scoopdeck.com. Uh Justin, I know you haven't been able to get on the pod. I know you you know you do a great job of giving your thoughts over on the site every game, before the game, after the game and all that and we're getting your picks in every week. So we we've, we've been reading those out for you on the pod. You're winning by the way. Through 4 weeks you're up uh, up a couple games on me and QB. So congrats for well, that so far.
1: So I I do know what I'm doing a little bit. Well, you are you are
0: yeah, you're 25 and 20. Um, and then QB is 26 and 25 and I'm 25 and 26. Although we we do think we have to somehow modify your score a little bit because the first week you skipped out on the two Thursday games, which were two of the harder games to pick and QB and I both oh. lost those. So we feel like we kind of got a little, I don't know, we, we might have to take that- away a win or something to, to even out the fairness here
1: a little shaft. Well, I would imagine in the end as we get closer to the season, two two won't matter, but I totally understand how it can make an impact now for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, so let's uh let's get your thoughts on just kind of you know the Ducks through four games, obviously 4-0 is where everyone wanted them to be. Obviously Texas Tech was the one game that even before the season you would have circled as a potential a uh, game they could drop and, and a game that they very, very, came very close to dropping. Um, but let's, let's kind of hear your thoughts on how the ducks have performed so far through four games. What surprised you, what stands out to you? And then, you know, dig in as deep as you want on the Colorado game since it's fresh.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think just big picture wise, um, you know, you and I before, before you mashed the record button off air here, just really talking about the pac 12 and how close it is at the top and, you know, I, I, if you are a person that covers Utah, or a person that covers USC, or a person that covers Washington or Oregon, uh, I would fully listen to your claim thinking you have the best school in the Pac-12. I, I, all four of those programs are legit, right? And and Washington State is, is looking really good. Um, you know, obviously, that win over Oregon State was great for them this past weekend. I just love the conference as a whole. Um, I, I, I love that. I, I mean, it's not it's not top heavy but it's it's top heavy with some elite schools which is something you know we haven't seen in a while and, and i think to kind of back that up what i what i really like is this um you can throw all four of those schools into the into the current top 10 and i did at least with my top 10 i put oregon uh at 4 i believe going off the top of my head i just did it today and i think i put washington at 6 uh, and USC at like eight and Utah at 10. So that's where I put everybody. And I did say in the article, it's like splitting hairs at this point. Cause they're all really good. But I, what I like about Oregon, the way I feel about Oregon is I think they might be the most complete team of the four. Um, now that said, we know that, that offense, um, you know, can do a lot of damage in college football. Washington's offense is very explosive. They are clicking right now and, and, and playing some really good football, USC has the best quarterback in the country, in my opinion. I love Bo Nix as much as the next guy, but Caleb Williams is a very special talent. Uh, We know that they can do some things offensively, makes them very tough. I question their ability at the line of scrimmage. I question their defense. Those are the holes I I see there with USC. Utah is probably the next most complete team in the Pac-12. I just don't know that they're elite on either side of the ball like those other two teams like Washington uh, and USC. I don't know that they're elite on offense. They're really good on offense. I don't know that they're elite on defense. I think they're really good on defense. Um, they're just kind of like Oregon where they're a little bit more in the complete area. So, um, good news is we'll see how it all plays out in the coming weeks. And I'm excited to watch it. Um, with, with regards to Oregon, uh, four, four games in, you know, we, we got a little hype from the Portland State game because they they go out there and throw up a seventy burger and didn't even have to sweat doing it that was great um, you know Texas Tech a gritty win tough win um, I, I I feel awful for Texas Tech and Tyler Shuck who obviously will miss the rest of the season or at least the next next six to eight weeks minimum um, recovering from his broken fibula so that's unfortunate because I, I feel like that's going to impact Oregon a little bit negatively because they were a pretty strong team. Uh, And without Tyler Shuck, they're going to take a step down. There's no question about that. So, you know, that hurts Oregon a little bit, but that doesn't shouldn't take anything away from that game that had Tyler Shuck in it. Um, You know, then, of course, Oregon played Hawaii and we were all kind of like, all right, did they, you know, did they take a step back? Did they take this game seriously? Were they just kind of going through the motions knowing they could win easily? It's just not really anything to take away from that. So, of course, you get to Colorado, uh, which you mentioned being the, the freshest game here. I I don't know about you, Doug, but I I felt really good about uh, Colorado in terms of of where Oregon stood. Um, All the things that played out on Saturday were the things I felt good about. The fact that Oregon was superior at nearly every position on the field, and if you just want to be argumentative, you could say it's a tie at quarterback, and and that's about it. Otherwise, you know, I think Oregon had every advantage across the board. I thought the physicality of Oregon. Uh, would be a problem. I thought that the depth on the offensive line and defensive line, let alone the talent of Oregon, was going to create huge problems for Colorado. Um, And it played out like it did. I I don't love some of the storylines that follow. I I think there's a lot of things that are inappropriate in terms of, of talking about the game. You know, I think a few people have addressed it the right way and said, hey, look, Oregon kicked Colorado's ass. Plain and simple, that's it. They get to talk a little bit of talk, Colorado did plenty of talk leading up to the game, Oregon won the game, you know, let them have it. So, um, whoever it was decided that was a top 20 team in the country and Oregon beat the shit out of them. So, uh, uh, sorry if you have to bleep those two shits out, Doug, but now there's three of them. So (laughs) that'll be all the cussing I do on the pod, but, um, no great win. I I said this, I know several times it's a statement win for Oregon this season. By no means is that a Dan Landing Hallmark win or anything in his career, but that was a statement game for Oregon to start this early season. You know, yeah. Colorado, go ahead. Yeah, I yeah, I just want to jump in there
0: real quick because I think you know it was it was a statement game, but not in the traditional sense, right? Like it, it right? You know, it's a statement game. I mean, I don't think I don't think Oregon or Dan or their coaches or anyone thought like, hey, this is a this is a top 10 matchup, you know, a top 25 matchup. This is a, you know, a a real test that's going to be a feather in our cap. I mean, I'm sure they're going to say all the right things, right? But I think they all knew. They all knew that, you know, Colorado's not a top 25 football team. Um, So it's not a statement win in the sense like, you know, beating Washington in three weeks would be, or beating USC later down the road, or Utah, right? Like, But it's a statement win in a different way in the fact that, they knew there's going to be 10 million people watching this game, which is an enormous audience. And they knew that Colorado is getting watched and hyped and talked about and followed by everyone in the country. And they knew it's like, this is an opportunity to take that audience, that that huge audience that we're going to get, and all the eyeballs being on Eugene and showing them what Oregon football is all about. So the, it's a statement in that sense, a statement of saying, look at us, we're a story to follow. We're a dominant football team in this country. So it's a statement win in that way. And I agree with you there. It's not a statement win in the more traditional sense.
1: Yeah. No, you're, you're right. And and I, and I here's the thing. The game got hyped up, right? And a lot of that was, you know, just media. I mean, it was Dion feeding to the media. It was the media in return feeding it back. And, and the game got hyped up. Dan Landing knew that. Oregon knew that. So they knew, hey, look, guys, here's a chance to go out and get a statement win. We don't care who the opponent is. Here's the thing. Here's what people... It didn't matter that it was Colorado, if it was Utah State or Iowa or, you know, Texas or whoever was, you know, pumping out that much hype into a game only to come in and get their butts handed to them, Oregon was going to talk its talk afterward like, hey, we knew all these people were going to watch. We knew that this team we were playing against, we could beat, we beat them, you know, we we are taking advantage of this as a statement win, as a way to make a statement win. Again, it had nothing to do ultimately with the fact that it was Colorado and Dion. That was just, you know, the byproduct of of, them, of themselves kind of hyping them, themselves up. So anyways, I guess to put a bow on that, I love where Oregon's at. I, I think that for me, and again, this is where I'm not being negative or, or trying to be nitpicky. I'm just trying to be realistic. Moving forward. Okay, against a really good Pac-12 conference, against a very tough Washington team in Seattle in a couple weeks, against a very tough USC team uh, in about a month, Oregon's got some battles up ahead. If they want to, if they want to have their best chances of winning those games, okay, they need to clean up the penalties first and foremost. That's the one thing I want to see this Oregon team do is clean up the penalties. Okay, secondly. I think the offense has done some really good things. The offense has done some really good things. At times, it tends to get a little cute for my liking, but I also understand it because I, I know I wrote this. I'll revert back to, I remember when Chip Kelly was here. Best best play caller we know, right? Best play caller we know, and might still be the best play caller in college football, would basically call plays setting up you know, a play one or two or three plays away knowing it was in the bag if he did it right and i I do think that will stein has a little bit of that in them and by that i mean hey we're going to run right twice with bucky knowing we're going to set up troy franklin you know on a backside slant in three plays it's going to be there because they're going to come up and stack the box when it's third and three or whatever i think there's a little bit of that there so i want to offer some forgiveness but there have been times for me where the offense has just been kind of weird and so I don't know if "weird" is the right word. maybe you agree, it maybe feels, you don't know. I mean, I, be, I definitely agree, I, agree I, on the I,
0: penalties. I mean, I definitely agree on the penalties. I, I, I think they've been really sloppy, but I'm going to be honest with you. It feels to me like the offense is, I don't think we've seen the, the full, I, I feel like there's a lot of setting up stuff for later going on. I yeah. feel like we're seeing also, especially in the Hawaii game, if Portland State was completely vanilla. I think. Texas Tech was, you know, obviously a close game. I, I What I saw in the Hawaii game was felt like starting in the third or fourth possession. It felt like experimenting, like, hey, let's try this formation. Hey, yeah. let's try this personnel group. Hey, let's try this, this kind of series of plays. And I kind of felt, kind of felt like Colorado was kind of back to being fairly vanilla. I, I mean, it just felt like we're going to run our normal offense. We're going to take what's there. And it's so funny because I see a lot of people, and, and QB and I talked about this in yesterday's episode. Is you see a lot of people on Twitter like criticizing, like that Bo is not throwing the ball downfield, and it's like, okay, but we're, we don't need to. Like we're, right. we're 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 taking what's there. Like we're taking the run game that what is there. He, he's like Bo's just executing the offense masterfully, right? He's not out there trying to put up gaudy numbers. He's not out there trying to like win the Heisman in September. He's out there trying to execute the offense at a high level, and he goes up there. And he looks at the box count, and you know he he checks to the the right RPO tag or or to the right you know thing for the for the box count that they're presented and for the defense that they're presented. And he takes the he takes the the gain right, like it's either a handoff for eight yards or it's a a pass you know a quick pass for eight yards. I I mean, it's it's really or twelve
1: or yeah, right. And
0: (laughs) I mean, when you can throw a when you can throw a pass that's a ninety percent you know, completion rate that's guaranteed to get you five to eight to nine yards at a minimum, like, yeah, like, don't like, you have to take that. Like, that's just smart football. And Bo's yeah. playing just smart football. Like, yeah, you know, we've, we've had some, and he's had some deep shots when they're there and and we saw that against Colorado, but like, I, I just like this criticism that it's somehow bad to be like taking eight yards of play is is kind of silly to me. Uh, you know you yeah. mentioned this earlier and I said this too is like uh, this is why I have Oregon as my number one team in the pac 12 right now is because they're the most complete team in all in all phases they can run extremely efficiently and explosively they can pass efficiently and explosively so far they are defending the run in the past you know especially the past better than anyone in the conference right so it's like they're not they don't really have a glaring weakness and and I'd almost say I don't even know if they have a glaring unknown anymore um I feel right. like they're just they're just in every phase of the game. They're the most complete team. Whereas, you know, OK, yeah, USC, Washington, elite passing offenses. Can either one very run very effectively when they need to? I don't right. Know. Can yeah. either one defend the pass or the run at a high level? I, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Utah, obviously great defensively, offensively, extremely limited. Now, maybe that fixes itself to some degree when camp comes back for them. But it it's. It, it's it's crazy to me that you're going to criticize a team who's just dominating the, the efficiency game offensively. Like, they're taking what's there. And look, yeah, like later, if, if a team that has a better defense and has a better opponent comes along and is able to take something of Oregon's away, guess what? Oregon has three other things they can do.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: No, that's what I think is good. Is that's what I think I see Stein doing, right? He's like, I'm experimenting with different things, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't, putting a lot of film on tape that people are going to have to prep for. And that then, like you said, it gives you counters off of those plays and counters off of the counters, right? And I think uh, I'm really excited to see how that plays out over the course of the season.
1: Yeah. And and I I did, you know, I I preluded that trying to say I'm being nitpicky at this point, trying to look for flaws to make them better. I think the offense is great. And, and to your point, you made a great point. They're running a safe offense right now. And to back that up, they've got one turnover all season, right? And that's that's smart football. That's you keeping the football, not turning the ball over. And the one turnover they did have would have been a touchdown if, yeah. if Bo had. A wide to...
0: open a wide open guy <laughs> was a bad throw. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, like you said, everything they're basically doing outside of a few instances is, you know, within eight yards of the line of scrimmage. So as soon as you know, every if 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 Washington's game plan is that hey we're going to creep up to the line of scrimmage and force them to go deep, okay. <laughs> I mean you got Gary Bryant, you got Troy, you know Troy Franklin, and you got Bo Nix, who's the most experienced quarterback in college football right now. Yeah, they'll beat you deep if that's what you want to give them. And, and and like you said, maybe Will Stein's setting that up. Like you know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna get teams to force. Uh, you know, I, what do they have? They have like three runners that are averaging like six yards a carry or better. Uh, at Oregon with with the number of qualifying runs required yeah I mean they're just
0: yeah I think they're overall the three of them combined are averaging (laughs) like seven and a half yards again at some point a team's gonna have to come up and take that away right or take away the the wide receiver screen game or the art you know the RPO or SPO game right and at some point then you have the over the top open and and Mm -hmm. Oregon has a significantly better receiving group this year than they did last year I mean yeah. Troy Franklin, Troy yeah. Franklin and, and I love the fact that they're getting him the ball consistently this year, you know, week in week out, which is, you know, great. But also like Gary Bryan Jr. and and Sean Holden and and Tez Johnson are a huge step up from, you know, oh, yeah. the three the second third and fourth guys last year. And no knock on those guys. It's just a it's just a huge Im- improvement in talent and they're capable and and when they're getting their chances, they're making they're making the most of them.
1: Yeah. And I and and I love that you said that because I'm not even sure that we've even scratched the surface of what we're going to see from Treshawn Holden yet. I got a feeling, you know, he's going to have a couple of big games here uh, down the stretch and they might just be saving them. Um, and and Tez Johnson, I know he had the bigger game in week one, which everybody did. But, you know, he's just been kind of quiet and has been clutch in some big moments. But otherwise, I think I think there's a, a big game or two ahead for Tez Johnson as well. Um, we know Troy and, and gonna Gary be a good. Gary
0: Bryant, I mean, I think Bryant yeah. too. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. And, and you know what I love? I think I love most is the fact that uh, Oregon, uh, to wrap things up on Oregon, where we're at, I, I think the offense is complete. I think the offense is very good, very balanced, and can do nearly everything you want to do on that side of the ball. I think the defense, I know a lot of metrics point to them being really good. I think just eyeball tests, we can see that they're better. We can tell that they're better. We feel better about that defense getting a stop or getting, you know, a team in into third and long and being able to come up with the ball. I think the back end has been revamped, and nobody is as good as Christian Gonzalez maybe as last year, but overall that unit is much better as an entire unit uh, for Oregon. I think the linebackers are doing a good enough job. They aren't a strength of this team, but they aren't a glaring weakness. But what I love, and I, I'll throw it. Special teams are legit, you know, Oregon special teams are doing a great job punting the ball, you know, placement on the ball. The kickoffs are nearly all touchbacks. Field goals have been tremendous. Um, I, I, like you said, Oregon might be the most complete team of the of the big four and the Pac-12 and and special teams is included in that. And the last thing I'll say on that, and we can talk more, but out of the top 10 this year, out of all the teams in the top 10, and I'm talking Georgia, Florida State, Texas, Michigan, you know, Oregon, Utah, USC, Washington, Notre Dame, you pick them, Ohio State. Nobody is unbeatable this year. And I think that's different than the last two years because you've kind of looked at at Georgia the last couple of years like, man, they're going to be tough to beat, you know, and Bama's been really tough to beat. Um, I, I don't see that this year. I see all of those teams being, Sure. I think Georgia is probably a little bit better than most everybody, but not like last year. Last year, that week one game when they beat the crap out of Oregon, there was no doubt in my mind like that team is really good. (laughs) Like good luck beating them. Um, And I don't see that this year. And I think that's great for college football. And I think it could be great for whoever out of the Pac-12 possibly makes a move into the playoff if it's Oregon.
0: And honestly, like this is the, and you hear a lot of people said this, right? Like, gosh, can we have that 12 team playoff this year?
1: <laughs> yeah, Cause
0: that is the year where it, it it feels like the most wide open has been certainly since the start of the playoff era. Uh, but I do, I do think, I hope, and I think most of college football fans would agree that, that this, it would be ideal if this kind of, I don't want to say parity cause it's not parody top to bottom, but at least, at least relative parody in the top 10, top 15, if that could continue and, and that be the norm rather than the exception, like I just think that makes college football such a better sport.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, we all love the game, right? And here's what makes this sport so hard. It's any given Saturday. So, you know, uh, Alabama goes out there and loses to Texas, right, early this season, and both are good teams. Who's to say Alabama wouldn't beat them, you know, two out of the next three times the rest of the season, we won't really know, but since they lost that early game, it puts them at a, at a disadvantage. Now, not a yep. severe disadvantage because they're still in the SEC, but you get my point. You know, Oregon could lose to Washington or USC, hopefully not, but they could. And does that put them out, even though they're a one-loss hell of a football team in the Pac-12? That's, and it's just, it makes it tough because there's so many good teams that kind of get bubbled, if you will, that are just on the cusp there that, you know, on any given Saturday could beat, some of those teams in the top four
0: yeah and what's crazy and you know we'll we'll take a quick break after this and we'll come back and talk about the Pac-12 as a whole but what's crazy is like you think about the Pac-12 has always been the league over the last six seven years that beats itself up right takes out takes out its champion they end up with two losses they don't make the playoffs right whether that's Utah knocking off Oregon or Oregon knocking off Utah or you know somebody you know you know somebody knocking off usc last year utah knocking off usc last year right it's just they've always taken itself out and it feels like this is the one year where that's probably going to happen again but in a different way because i always felt like in those previous five or six years there's been like one team that's probably good enough or maybe two at most that's probably good enough to be a playoff team and they just get that like boneheaded loss against a not very good team right you think about oregon in 2019 against arizona state right and this year, it feels like there's probably three or maybe even four teams in this conference that are good enough to be playoff teams, but now they all have to play each other and so instead yeah. of it being one of those teams losing to a boneheaded seven and five team and knocking themselves out, it's gonna be like two playoff caliber teams knocking each other out or or four playoff caliber teams knocking each other out. and it, it's just it's just the it just feels like the most packed 12 ending ever.
1: right we're all gonna knock each other out of yeah we're gonna go we're gonna
0: go in yeah we're gonna go into the pac 12 title game with a two loss team beating a one loss team and 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 the pac 12 sailing off into the sunset
1: (laughs) yeah which at the end of the day like based on what i've seen i you could to me you could make an argument that oregon washington usc utah could hang with georgia and i'm i'm saying georgia's probably the number one team right now they're probably the most complete team uh, they've done a good job. I think all four of those schools on a neutral field could give Georgia a hell of a football game right now. I mean, I guess we'll find out.
0: Yeah, maybe. I guess we'll find out. All right, <laughs> let's take another quick break and then we'll be back. We'll talk about the conference. All right, we're back on the QB11 show here with Justin Hopkins today on a special extra bonus edition. So we kind of shorted you all with not doing our um, instant analysis after the game on Saturday night. Apologies for that. But you're getting this extra bonus episode now instead. So, And it's better because you get Hop. So instead of listening to my voice the whole time. So, Hop, let's talk about the conference um, a little bit more, and then we'll, we'll end this one. Uh, Do you want to just kind of run through team by team? Like, uh, you know, QB and I do our power rankings every week, so we could kind of get your power rankings 12 through 1, and you could expand as much as you want on each of those 12 as you go.
1: Okay, let me… Does that format work for you? Yeah, that works. Let me look up my power rankings from last week. It won't be much different than this week, because what will happen is I'll miss a school if I don't have a list in front.
0: Well, or I could just tell you mine, and you could go (laughs) off of them and say whether you liked them higher or lower. But whatever works for you.
1: But pull mine up here somewhere. Oh, boy. God, I write a lot of articles. Holy crap.
0: <laughs> it's all right. We'll just use mine. I got Cal as my number 12 team this week. Uh, QB has Stanford. Who do you want to talk about first? Or just talk about them both.
1: <sighs> Which one I think is, is worse out of the two? Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, take your pick. I would say Stanford's at 12. They've had a lot of trouble this year, and I get it. I'm. I actually think Troy Taylor's a really good coach. I just think, I just think he inherited a a job similar to Jonathan Smith at Oregon state. Um, The only problem is that that job that he inherited uh, and the uphill battle has some serious academics that'll make it difficult for him. But yeah, I I think Cal's just a notch ahead uh, of Stanford currently.
0: Yeah. uh, Cal's Cal's. I mean, they're both bad football teams. Let's just be honest. I think, I think, um, and then I've got ASU as, as the next bad team. And actually I was I was very impressed with the the way they fought against USC. They threw everything they had into that game. They kept it close all the way into the fourth quarter. And I give them a lot of credit for that. I give Kenny a lot of credit for that. Um but I think they're just a, a really overmatched football team as well. And it's I said it's unfortunate that um ASU and Stanford don't play each other because they could both go 0 nine.
1: Yes. Yeah uh that's funny actually (laughs) i i love dilly um and i think he'll do some great things down there but again you just have a a really bad roster um you know watching i i'm not gonna lie i did fall asleep somewhere in the fourth quarter but watching that asu usc game you know reminded me why it was so fun having dilly here last year uh great offensive mind has some very unique things but um And for me, just for me a little bit, they, they obviously, they poke the holes in USC that you and I have already expressed concern about. So um, good for them, but yeah, they still got a long ways to go.
0: All right. My uh, number eight team is Arizona. Uh, Jekyll and Hyde is what I'm calling them this year.
1: Yes. I, I actually have the same exact ranking as you. I pulled up the one I was, I was using before. Um, I do have Arizona there. They have, some firepower on offense, but it's not very balanced, and they don't have depth, and they don't have much at all on defense. So yeah, they still got a ways to go. They were like one of the worst three and one teams in the country, I think, right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, beating Stanford twenty-one to twenty like that is not a good win. I mean, that's a that's as bad of a win as you could possibly. I mean, they say no win is a bad win. I don't know. That might be a bad win.
1: That might be a bad win. Yeah. No. It's. Uh, yeah they're not they're not they're not a complete team that's for sure
0: yeah and they have to play washington this week so uh, good luck um i've got oregon state at number seven um and this is it's not that they're a bad team it's just that the, this league is so stacked and I'm, I'm everyone above them i think is has shown more so i've you know obviously they went on the road in pullman and and lost by a touchdown but it certainly wasn't that close or maybe it was 3, I don't remember. But it it wasn't as close as the final the score looked. They were down down big in the fourth quarter, had some late scores to to kind of pull it pull it close, but you know, I think their limitations are showing as well. Their defensive backfield um mm-hmm. kind of got exposed pretty pretty hard by Cam Ward and the offense of Washington State and then, you know, they can run the ball very effectively. I'm still not sure they have playmakers um on the outside there in that offense.
1: Yeah. I I had Oregon State as high As number six last week for me, uh, and and here's what I wrote about them. This was last week. Like anyone, OSU has holes, and DJU will only take them so far. These middle teams are going to beat up on each other all season long. Obviously, Washington State beat Oregon State, and you have to drop them. Have to. Yeah.
0: Uh, I got UCLA at six. Um, That was pretty disappointed in – I don't know whether – I mean, I think Utah's defense is really good, Um, best defense at the conference easily. But still, being being only able to put up seven points, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Chip, you got better weapons than that. You got to be able to do better than
1: that. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you there. Um, you know, UCLA was up there a little bit higher for me. I know there was a ton of expectations for them heading into the season, how they were going to get better on defense and you know some of those other things, but. Uh you know, frankly, I just, I really don't see it. So yeah, maybe in a normal Pac-12 year, uh, you know, they might be up in that upper, upper four range, upper five range possibly, but this year with those top four being so elite and Washington state being so damn good too. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're down there for me as well.
0: Yeah. Um, Washington State. I got them at five. Obviously, Cam Ward is a completely different player with this new offensive coordinator. They're actually throwing the ball downfield. They have better receivers, and he's just been dominant this year. And, and probably the the best player in the country that nobody's really talking about so far this season. And he's just been incredible. And you know that was a game. You know, on Oregon schedule, I thought not a lot of coming into the season is okay we're playing Washington State at home, we'll take care of business. But now you're like, okay, well, after the Washington game, that's that's the definition of a let game, letdown game or a trap game or something. So Oregon's gonna have to come to play and that's obviously a month out, but uh, keep an eye on Washington State, they're playing really good football.
1: 100% no gimme there. I do have Colorado next for me and then Washington State is ahead of Colorado currently for me. So I'm gonna guess you maybe have the, the opposite, but we're close. Um, but yeah, that's where I have, have those two. I think that puts us at that's number six and number five with, uh, for me, number six is, is Colorado. Number five is Washington state for me, Washington state's a really good football team.
0: Oh yeah. I somehow skipped Colorado. I had them down at eight. So my bad. Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I still have them ahead of Oregon state. I think when they get Travis Hunter back they're they're still going to be a good team. but again, all these teams in the middle, basically, uh, I don't know. Take your pick, honestly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I kind of put my, I put my teams in tiers. I think I did this on Twitter before this past weekend's games, but I kind of had the contender tier, which I had Oregon, Washington, Utah, USC. And then I kind of had what I was calling the tough out tier, which is Oregon state, Washington state and UCLA. And then I, I had two teams that i I called the like building building tier which was arizona and colorado and then i had obviously the the bottom three tier which is just like hot garbage warmed over
1: right which is fair yeah all of that's exactly fair
0: uh okay i think that brings us up to my number four is usc you might have them higher
1: uh yeah you know i do have them higher i i do have utah at number four it's really hard for me to do that i i Still have some questions i think like i said earlier there are they are like the jack of all trades but the master of none um so to speak so again that shouldn't hurt them too bad because they're a complete team but right now i i do have utah at four but it's definitely not a team that anybody's decided to play
0: <laughs> no and i think the, the big question with them is what are they going to look like when cam and keithy get back right and I, I think yeah. I'm so impressed by their defense and also just their ability to navigate what's been a really challenging opening four games without those guys and to, and to do it four and zero. Right, it's impressive yeah. to me, and that's why I have them have them higher than USC right now, who I think is kind of like sleepwalking through their terrible schedule and and not looking super impressive, especially on defense doing it. Yeah, but I get your argument, right? I mean, does USC ultimately have a higher ceiling? Yes. I, you know, I'm kind of looking at it from a resume standpoint. And I think you, you, Utah has been more impressive, but take pick your poison there. Uh, do you have USC yeah. at three or do you have them higher still?
1: N- nope. That's where I have USC. Yeah. I assume that's where you have Utah. Yeah. For USC, all the things you just said as well, defense is a concern. Um, you know, I think this matchup with Arizona state last week, last weekend, Saturday night, really kind of, you know, validated some of those concerns that at least myself had and others did. So um, I don't think they're a complete team by any means. And uh, I know you could say this about any of the any of the of the top end schools, but if they lost Caleb Williams, I really I just don't know where that team would be without him.
0: No, no, not at all. That would be uh, a bad place, a bad place I, to be. But I mean, yeah, you could say the same thing about you know any of these teams. Um, I, I think you but, have Oregon at one, like uh, like QB, and I, I assume that means you have Washington at two. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Washington a little bit.
1: Yeah, Oregon one, Washington two. Um, I think Oregon has better wins on the resume right now. Say what you want about Colorado. Say what you want about Texas Tech. I think they're better wins than anything Washington's you know uh, put out there. I think Washington's a great team. Again, offensively. Um, they're very dynamic. They're very good at the passing game. I'm not sure how effective they are at running the football, and I'm really not sure how good they are at defense. I think that they have some good defensive players, but I don't know that they have a great defensive unit. So, again, that one's going to get shaken out in a couple weeks. So, you know, we can argue about it till we're both blue in the face, but um, they'll get to play that game in a couple weeks. Both have a bye week leading up to that game. Um, I'm, I'm just. I'm genuinely excited for it. it. sounds like potentially game day could be there, uh, you know, for, for that game. I guess we'll see. It's kind of, here's what's interesting though, is I like, I won't watch all of it. I know I won't, but I will just kind of be semi curious to see the outcome of Washington playing at Arizona against Arizona Saturday night. I just, I don't know. I just kind of want to see that one.
0: Yeah. You know, I, it was one I really was circling not not because I thought Arizona is going to win cuz I don't but more of cuz I I wanted to see I don't know if Washington's pass defense is any better than last year. I mean their pass defense was very bad last year. And I don't I mean they've so far played four teams who can't complete a forward pass with any consistency. So I don't know if they're better there or not. I mean, I, I have to think they are probably at least somewhat better, but the question is how better. And I was kind of looking at this game as maybe a barometer of of that as, some, as a team that could challenge Washington State or sorry, that could challenge Washington in the passing game. But Arizona's been just so kind of inconsistent, and Jaden DeLore has been really bad. And if he's the Jaden DeLore that shows up and throws four or five interceptions, which seems to happen three or four times a year. Then I, again, then will I go like, oh, is that because Washington's past defense is so great, or is it because Jaden Delora was Jaden Delora? So I don't know. Right. Now I'm now I'm less. I feel less certain that I'm going to get any kind of any sign out of this game, and it may be that I just have to wait to the Oregon game to see.
1: Yeah. No, I just I kind of get you know you know we both know that Tucson can be an un, a, an unfriendly environment, and I just kind of wonder if that will show up you know, to Washington, like you said, does good Jaden Delora show up? Does he just say, Hey, T Mac, keep going. And I'm going to feed you the ball 15 times. (laughs) And can you dub stop it if they decide to do that? So, uh, I just, it'll be, it'll be an intriguing matchup, but you know, more than likely I'll assume that Washington beats him by 40.
0: (laughs) 40 would be, I would, I'd be surprised if it was 40, but uh, yeah, I, I think Washington, you know, probably wins pretty handily just cause you know, I, I don't see Arizona slowing down their passing attack. I don't, I mean, I don't know how many teams can slow down their passing attack. I don't think anyone can stop it, but I, I no. think, you know, you can, there's probably some teams out there that can slow it down enough to, to win. Um, yeah. It, assuming they're putting up, you know, points of their own, but that list of teams on their schedule is pretty small. And I don't, so, I don't think Arizona is one of them.
1: So, I mean, this is something that I know people hate, you know, hearing the reference, but this is something, you know, Mario used to love love to say when he was here, and we all know the expression, right, taking the air out of the football. That's what you do to Washington, okay? They're not going to beat you any other way than with the football in Michael Penix's hands chucking the ball deep. So, if you want to keep the game close and in check, you master the time of possession, try to keep, you know, the football as much as you can. And more than likely, keep yourself in, in any game with them. What the way that ben- that benefits Oregon is because we know that Oregon can run the damn football. You know, they can they can run the ball and eat some clock if they want to. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I Oregon pretty much. That, but.
0: yeah, I mean, Oregon is is definitely one of the premier teams in the country in executing long time chewing drives, right? I mean, that's just what we do in the regular flow of the game, let alone late in the game, right? So. Um very very methodical very efficient offense in moving down the field and I think that if you're oregon you you play your offense the way you already do right you mix tempo, you play short and long right you you take what's there I think what what you do defensively is you make Washington do the same thing right you, you just you just say like we're not going to let him get the explosives right and obviously easier said than done, but wow. your your game plan is to keep everything underneath and they've been tackling so well this year, right? I mean, they're giving up catches and then boom, and the guy's immediately on the ground. Right. And I think you just, if you can, if you can force Washington to have to go on 10, 12, 14 play drives to score, then I think two things happen. One, that's less possessions in the game. And then also, I think that's where a a guy like Penix and that offense, I think they get that. You could potentially either force them into mistakes or they get impatient right? And they try to force balls. Oh, we're so used to these getting these home run balls every week. We're going to force them even when they're not there. And that can lead to, you know, to some mistakes and some turnovers. And we saw a couple of teams do that against them last year, uh, pretty UCLA particularly. Um, and so I think if you're Oregon, that's the way you got to play it, right? Like, you know, make them go on long drives and, and slow down the game in that way. Right. So you're matching long drive to long drive to long drive, shorten the number of possessions in the game, and. Uh, You know, and then it's whatever team can get a couple of stops is probably the one that wins. You know, it was very I feel like the game is going to be very similar to last year. Neither defense really stopped either offense. Uh, And, you know, both offenses stopped themselves a couple of times. Oregon with that dumb, like trick play fumble on the one yard line. But I don't know what you're doing. Right. Run the ball. Um and then you know they right. had that, and then, and then Washington cute. you know threw the pick in the end zone, uh, which kind of led to the final sequence that we all know so well, right? And then outside of that, nobody, neither team stopped each other. <laughs> and so I think it'll be a similar game this year. So right. just, if you can get no, one right. or two stops, that's yeah. probably the difference. I, I the think,
1: game. No, I think you. I think you said it best. Just keep everything in front of you is kind of the key with with them, at least defensively for Oregon.
0: All right, Hop, anything more you want to touch on before we uh, say goodbye?
1: No, I don't think so. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I can make it back sooner than later. But, um, yeah, thanks for uh, making some time during your day to, to accommodate for me. And I uh, uh, love the pods you guys are putting out. And hopefully, uh, hopefully I can get back with you and Andrew and we can figure out how to uh, master that dynamic.
0: <laughs> absolutely absolutely so that's justin hopkins from scoopduck.com. if you're not a member over there what are you even doing get on it uh join it's super uh super easy doesn't cost very much and uh all the best content and information is over there on scoop duck and obviously follow along justin hopkins on twitter as well so thanks justin we will see you again soon and uh, thanks all for listening we'll talk to you with our preview episode on thursday morning